Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. My name is James, and today I am joined by Chris, the creator of Crystallum Wargame, uh, partnered with Gaddis Gaming. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great. Uh, I want to thank you for having me, and I'm super excited to talk about the game and uh, everything we're doing with the project. Yeah, um, I'm a follower of uh, Gaddis Gaming, and he's been on the podcast before, so when I saw that... Um, he, this isn't his game, but he's supporting it. And I like uh, to back like up and coming American United States based uh, companies. There is really fascinated by, you know, the average guy going out there and making his own game and putting it out. But before we get started, let's talk about your bona fides. How did you get into tabletop war gaming? What's your oh, origin man. story? I asked so, everyone. Uh, I can actually remember uh, the first time I kind of saw the uh, the miniatures um, I was I think it was probably around 2002 or three I was really young I was like let's let's not even 10 years old and um, my neighbor at the time who was an older kid than us um, had little space marine figures on a shelf in his room and we just thought they were so awesome they had like laser guns they had um, uh, chainsaw swords and they just looked so cool and um, I remember asking him about them. Uh, we, were, we were so young and he told us where he got them. And there was a, it was a small, small game store, like kind of hole in the wall place in a local mall. And then to give you a, how much things have changed in the past 20 something years, um, that mall has now been demolished. <laughs> the entire mall is gone. And um, that game store, unfortunately, is, is long gone too. But I remember going in there as a little kid and getting my parents to take me there and then buying the first kind of like couple little box sets. And they were still second edition Warhammer box sets with the little snap fit, like little chaos guys that you like glued their arms on. And that was pretty much and then glued them to a base. So those are the first models I ever had. I think there were, there were a box of corn berserkers and a box of plague Marines and they're all snap fit. And those are the first miniatures I ever bought. And of course now uh, being a, a kid, you know, all that stuff has been long destroyed probably which makes it hurt even more when you go on eBay and you go see what the second and third edition, you know, which was right around that time. Uh, those, the third edition medals really were around. Uh, you go online, you see what they're worth. And then you, and you hate yourself for uh, demolishing those as a little kid. Cause now they're worth four times the box price. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of an early start with Warhammer and we were little kids and we probably, you know, we had the books, but we probably just made up the rules as we went. And um it was really from there. And it wasn't really until I think I was uh, graduating actually high school that I really kind of got into it, started going to game shops and trying to play with people and meet people and kind of got introduced to other games uh, through that because it was Warhammer for the longest time. Well, that, uh, so that's an interesting art because most people give up after they graduate high school and there's like a dead period and then they get back into it when they get older, but you, you push harder into it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was a little rambunctious in high school. I guess I put it that way. I was, uh, <laughs> starting trouble too often. So, um, I think it was a, a positive kind of after the fact to, to jump into something, um, a hobby, right. I think that was maybe something I was missing for a while. So, um, yeah, it was really through college, I, I, would, I would say. It was my last year of high school. I got into it, started playing with people. And then um, in college, I played for, for kind of throughout, I would say. Well, what led you into designing Crystallum? Because there's a certain point, you know, you're, you're playing one game, you're playing multiple games. The next step is I'm going to make my own game. 
what was the thought process and not, and also a 15 millimeter scale game. So going something more people are more familiar with from battlefront, like team Yankee mm. and flames of war, why the push into the smaller format? Oh, sorry. I got a big, I got a big answer for you there. Um, <laughs> so after actually it was, it was after messing with Warhammer a bit, I think it was around the time, um, for the scale, at least uh, why I did 15 mil, it was about the time I think sixth edition Warhammer was coming out and we were kind of all just burned out. People Bad times. Of... Yeah, that was the rough time. If anyone remembers back, like end of fifth edition into sixth was like when everybody was kind of like collectively done with, with Games Workshop for a while. Um, and then, then I was two and I, I actually don't even think I ever played sixth edition. I, I remember having the rule book and then it's just kind of uh, fizzling out really quickly around my area when that book came out. So a lot of us um, ended up going to a different game shop because the old one closed. And uh, a lot of guys at the new game shop actually played Flames of War. And Flames of War was kind of a big game around there for a while. So we all got in Flames of War and um, I was always kind of into the big 28 mil giant figures. Oh, you have a tank and it's gotta be this big and it's gotta take up half the table. Um, so the, the, the little 15 mil stuff, uh, at first I was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, matchbox cards or whatever. And, um, over time, and this is back when Battlefront did metal stuff too, if you remember those days, um, I, I really kind of fell in love with it. I, I like that your army kind of fit in a, in a contained small little thing. Uh, you could play on a smaller table if you wanted to, there were no, there was no need to kind of play these gigantic games. Some people still did, even though they were, you know, 15 millimeter figures, but there was the option there at least to kind of scale things down. And when we played Flames of War for a while, and we really enjoyed it. And kind of all through that time, I was, you know, I was in college, hanging out with people. Uh, I always wanted to kind of create something, you know, you always, you always get that creative itch. And a lot of that came from not even necessarily wargaming, but from uh, role-playing games. We played a lot of role-playing games in college, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, a game called Rifts, which is by uh, Palladium Games, which I really like. <laughs> Love that game. <laughs> hey, you know, once you get far enough, every combat can be over in thirteen point five seconds. Oh man, that game is uh, that game is great. I, I really enjoy it. I think you have to understand that it's more of a toolkit. You can't just run like as is and be like, oh, do whatever you want because <laughs> they'll go off the rails kind of quickly. You kind of pick a theme and go with it. But um, yeah, it, it was run role playing games and, and specifically yeah, D and D, Rifts. There's a couple other games that were thrown in there, but those were the kind of the games we stuck with, and we kind of created characters i slowly kind of created a universe um and it was kind of hard being you know young i was still a teenager in my early 20s to kind of get people together to do anything serious right you're all kind of like kids and everyone's interests you know last a few hours if you're lucky <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't really till and i've always kind of had held that with me and and it wasn't till uh, really a couple years ago with uh, honestly the pandemic where it kind of shut everything down everyone had to stay at home um, people had to work from home, all that stuff. And, and being, you know, a couple of years older at that point, I was able to kind of reach out to some friends and say, Hey, this is always something I wanted to do. Do you guys want to help out? Do you guys want to you know, be involved or whatever? And it was a lot of guys I played, still played role-playing games with and still play role-playing games with now. And I still know all those guys. And they said, yeah, like, like, what do you want to do? And I said, um, you know, why don't we take the little world? Cause, cause when we played rips, we always kind of carved out a portion of the map. We made our own stuff up and, came up with the whole kind of crystal thing there. Um, and we said, why don't we just use that as a basis, you know, make it our own. And then um, what do you want to do for figures? And I said, you know, I really at this point in my kind of gaming life want to see some smaller scale figures, smaller scale games. 
can cut the board in half. We don't have to plan a six by four, you know, a four by four. We can get a handful of little figures each. We don't need hundreds of figures. You know, I think we, we kind of set out as a mission statement to cap the game around 25, 30 figures, maybe 40 if you want to go a little bit higher, but that's kind of it. You're not fielding hundreds of models each. And it kind of just, it, it took shape over time. And that was um, a long journey, right? I think it took us a year and a half to get the core book done. Uh, but in between all the, the layout and then asset generation and then testing and then getting it all kind of put up uh, in digital form and physical form. And I mean, now yeah, I'm working on additional materials and, and, and uh, RADA and kind of an update file, things like that. So it never truly ends. And, and you kind of, uh, you, I would say the first thing you kind of create is always the hardest because you're starting from scratch. You're starting from like nowhere a point of no knowledge, essentially. And then now when we're going to additional materials, we kind of have a, a sense of like, all right, here's where we are, here's where we want to be, and here's what we've learned along the way. And applying that knowledge, essentially. Um, and then not only was there uh, interest in, in, in stuff from role-playing games and other tabletop games we played, but there's also a lot of video game stuff in there as well. Uh, the one everyone kind of calls out is uh, Command and Conquer. No. Let me ask you about the theme because you mentioned the crystals. And so when this episode comes out, the um, Kickstarter that you um, have out there is still out there. But the idea is that um, crystals kind of like the energy, the basis mm -hmm. of the society around there. So what is the, the theme of the game? Is this a grim dark? Is this is a happy fun infinity universe? Um, and also, is this a beer and pretzels game? Or are you looking at this as a um, hardcore tournament mechanic uh or i can answer that immediately this is not a hardcore tournament mechanic game this is a beer and pretzels mess around have some fun it's an excuse to put some cool models on the table and roll some dice um it's it's kind of a brainchild of mine so we came up with the whole system uh from well i say from scratch but really it, it, there's a lot of influences from other systems kind of you know you take a lot you take what you like from other games and you kind of smash them together reform them a bit to kind of form your own system. So no, it, it's not a competitive system. <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of say that outright. And uh, I've never been like a competitive, uh, a competitive player, uh, really. I think I dabbled in 40K a long time ago, and that was uh, less than stellar. <laughs> Some of the things you see at 40K tournaments uh, kind of, <laughs> I think you know what I mean, but uh it's uh, it's not something competitive wargaming is not something I have really much of an interest in. I, I do want to make sure, of course, that the game functions and, and, and works well and people kind of pick up the book and read it, understand the mechanics. And, and I want the mechanics to to work and I don't want there to be any kind of like holes in the system or anything like that. So even though I'm saying it's, it's not a competitive system, I don't want it to be a, um, a system where you're kind of constantly having to like cross hurdles or where it feels unfinished. That, that's that's something I want to avoid. And um, I'm fairly happy with the way the core mechanics are. There's a few things I kind of want to refine and explain in an eventual update document that I'll have ready in time for the, uh, the Kickstarter to be fulfilled. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely more of a casual game. And um, I really want it to also kind of be a creative vehicle for people to find cool models, make cool models, use our models. Um, I'm really interested to see what people do. And as for the universe and all that stuff, um, it's really kind of inspired by 
again, a lot of stuff that me and, and the people on the team liked, uh, certain video games, certain tabletop games, certain role-playing games. I liked the kind of like pulpy comic aesthetic of, of Rifts and, and how it's just kind of this like anything goes, like any cool design you can come up with. You know, you could be a wizard with a chainsaw. That's also a gun. <laughs> like, I love that idea. <laughs> well, I have to admit, when um, I was going through your Kickstarter, and I, there's one art piece of a guy in a tank, like piloting it. And um made me think of Tank Girl, some of the uh, okay, come yeah, out yeah. Right there, and some of the other art looked like uh, 2000 AD. Um, <laughs> so it did seem, since you have like this post-apocalyptic world, um, it did seem to fit some of the, the artwork fit some of the comic artwork produced in like the 80s and 90s for a post-apocalyptic world there. So to actually give you some insight into the art pieces that are, uh, not all of them, but a bunch of them that are on the um, Kickstarter page, and then the one you, you, you called out with the tank and then those were actually done by Ed Taub, who was uh, uh, an old school comic book guy. I think he was around in the 90s, early 2000s. So there is a reason for that look. And I kind of, uh, I met him through a friend and he's a great guy. Oh my God, he's so talented. And I, I kind of wanted that style. <laughs> so uh, it, it was really, really fortunate that uh, one of my friends was like, hey, I know a guy who used to do that for a living. And I was like, oh my God, like, give, me, give me his email. <laughs> like, I need that. <laughs> so uh, and yeah, he's great. And he's still doing art for us now. And um, we have a bunch of artists, but, but Ed is, is, is someone I really, really um, am fortunate to have uh, on the team working with us. And uh, there'll be more stuff from him to show off in the future. I'm really excited about it. Well, you were mentioning um, you borrowed some of the mechanics uh, from other games, and I think that happens with every designer. Um, it's kind of like the the comment about artists. Um, great artists steal. Uh, <laughs> and you put your own spin on it because there's different levers that you can pull and different parts of the game you can emphasize, and you can't throw everything in there. How would you describe um, the mechanics of the game? Um, so is this a D10, D6-based 2d6 2d10 um what what's a when you think about the probability curve how, how did you define that first so it's a 2d6 system uh for um thank goodness making, <laughs> yeah making your attacks and things like that when you go to save uh, roll armor on your models that's the single d6 you're trying to save off some of the hits uh, like it's a dice pool mechanic essentially when a model gets hit it's assigned however many successful hits there were after accuracy checks are made and then you get a certain amount of armor dice and you're, you're trying to roll those and apply successes to the pool to kind of essentially cancel hits. And then any leftover hits after the cancellation step uh, deal damage. So it, it, it's all kind of uh, uses D6s. We don't have any other dice that we're asking you to roll. It's you know, D3, 2D6, 1D6 kind of deal. And a lot of the, the 2D6 stuff, um, I really like Battletech Alpha Strike. And okay. that is kind of yeah. a game that I played a whole lot of. And now with, you know, the resurgence of Battletech and how it's becoming so popular again, and it's getting all the support, which is amazing. Um, we, we've really kind of played that game a lot at the shop. And um, I got really into it. I was running games for a while. I've kind of taken a step a bit back now from running games just to kind of work on everything else that needs to be worked on. But um, it's a combination, I would say, of a lot of Battletech, a lot of Star Wars Legion. I really like the two-action system in Legion. I like the little token mechanic um, that you place on to mark units. And um, I really like the way that they do universal special rules where they just kind of have a bunch of tags and they appear on units and you have a bunch of tags and sometimes numbered tags where you can have like, you know, pierce two or um, 
uh, Scout One or whatever. I, I like that yeah. idea. So I took that idea over and I, we made up our own special rules and we kind of use that same structure where like there's a bunch of special rules. They're all in this big chart. And then when you're applied to a unit, you can see right there on the unit stack card, like, all right, they have these rules. And then some of them are numbered, right? You can have Pierce 2, you could have Reload 1, you could have um, uh, Weak Frame X Plus. So, so right there, you can kind of get more usage out of those rules. <clears throat> I, I really want there to be like a master kind of chart of special rules. And that way, it helps players too, because as you start to see those rules over and over again, you start to memorize them, and you don't have to worry too much about another player coming to the table and being like, all right, all my figures do something crazy that you've never seen before. And it's going to take me 20 minutes to explain. You could ask, I, I want it to almost be like, yes, your point what that unit does. And they say, Oh, it's a tank unit. Their tanks have uh, movement 10 and they're, you know, the gun does this much damage and they have these three special rules. And, and, and from playing the game and seeing those special rules, probably on your own data sheets and go, all right, I know what those do. Like, I, I, I can, I can get an idea of what those guys are going to do. Uh, it, it kind of cuts down on some of the, the, the bulk of explaining rules over and over again. And I, I, I don't really like those like gotcha moments in games where everything has like tons and tons of crazy rules. And you're like, oh, I'm going to move my little guy over here. And your client goes, ah, you've fallen into my trap. I have 20 different rules that will now trigger in order because you moved right there. And you're like, mm, I don't, I never knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so. Well, that that's something I think like um, the idea of special rules is to make different factions of an army uh, of a game different from each yeah. other. And, you know, Games Workshop back through like second through fifth edition had huge thick rule books. And mm. lately they've gone like, well, let's get a smaller rule book. It's like, it's not a smaller rule book if you just blow up the big rule book and just hide the rules in all the battle tomes and codexes. Because at least when it was all in one giant rule book, everyone had access to every rule. So there was not that I gotcha moment. So the keyword actually creates ability in the numbers to like create flavor, but have everyone and be able to look at everyone else's cards and stats and know what the army can do. There's no like, ah, but you don't have my rule book. And my yeah. rule book says, and there's no keyword for it. And it's like, so everyone can understand. So there's transparency in the game um, yes. as you're playing. Of course. Yeah. And, and I, I really value that transparency. And, and I, I want to kind of have all the rules in, you know, in, in one spot in, in the rule books. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things I am happy with about the core rulebook is, is the units, the unit tags, the weapon tags and how they're applied. And that's something I kind of want to bring over when we do additional material, you know, having that same kind of system where you can just look at a unit's data sheet, check out the rules. Uh, you can reference the pages with the, with the charts on them that tell you all the special rules and kind of know exactly how they work. Well, I mean, uh, referencing uh, Alpha Strike, that's the advantage of the Alpha Strike cards versus the data sheets of classic battle tech is like everything from that classic sheet is boiled down to like one card, like mm. move, jump, shoot, heat. It's really simplified down. Um, but one of the things I like to ask is, is this game about um, simulation um, or about cinematic outcomes? Are you trying to like with Team Yankee, another 15 millimeter game, trying to simulate like the grittiness of war, or are you trying to create these cinematic um, aha movements, like these glorious um, stands, kind of like um, the difference between chain of command and bolt action? I would say it's definitely more cinematic. You're, you're trying, and we've had some great games at the, at the local shop um, when, when we do our tests, and then even just now, like because the game the, the game has a functional rule book, so 
I've been kind of showing people at the shop and playing sample games and stuff there. And there's some great moments of uh, heroism and failure with, with certain units. And they'll have a tank unit rush uh, an infantry, you know, platoon in a, in a building. And you know, there'll be some crazy outcome where you'll have a unit come in and outflank or an airplane will come in and like completely devastate a reserve unit or something like that. And, and those moments, I think, make the game really enjoyable. Uh, I think it's, it's less about simulation um, and more about having a, a kind of quick functional rule set for units or infantry and tanks to kind of go out, move, attack, do a few other things and um, resolve damage. That, that's what I kind of want to make it. I want to make sure people can jump into the game really quickly. They can understand how the units work. They can kind of get them out there. And then there is obviously a lot that goes into it. There's, there's a few layers we can go over different phases of the game, the way different units work. But um, I really kind of want to also capture the feeling of like, I remember playing old like computer RTS games, you know, building your units, spawning in your infantry, your tanks, and kind of sending yeah. them out there to battle. And you know, I notice, oh, my opponent's got a tank unit over there. I got to brush some heavy weapons or my own vehicles up there. And they've got some infantry in this, this kind of uh, <clears throat> piece of terrain. Am I going to try to bomb them out with aircraft? Am I going to try to send my own infantry out to dig them out? Am I going to bomb them with artillery? Something like that. You kind of want to figure out where to apply your combined arms. I, I want the combined arms feel to really be there. The infantry, the tanks, the artillery, the aircraft to kind of work in tandem. So you have a bunch of different tools in your kit. Essentially, you could send out and counter your opponent's moves. Well, I think you might touch um, on this, but when you designed the game, what were you thinking was the average model count? Um, or was there a range? Because I know sometimes like one faction will be the small elite faction and one faction will be the horde faction. Um, so what was your concept for how many models would be needed per side? So I didn't want there to be a ton of models on the table. And again, coming from, I mean, a lot of 40K, I've seen the model count for that game go way, way up. And and, and it's fine. And, and, and I, I kind of, that spectacle of just seeing tons of figures on the table uh, is, is something interesting and something to kind of behold. But um, I didn't want to, and again, it's, it's even harder for indie games to kind of require or ask, uh, ask people to, to buy or get tons of figures. And I wanted the game to essentially be playable in an hour and a half, two hours. So we really went out and designed the game through the, the point system and the force organization chart we have in there to support let's say more 25-ish figures if you're going heavy on vehicles and big heavy stuff. Um, if you want to go really infantry heavy, kind of max out all that stuff, you can, you can creep up the model count to maybe about 40 models. Uh, we had a hard cap on, uh, I think, about 50 models. If we were noticing lists were getting to be into the 40s, almost into the 50s, we were trying to find out ways to kind of bring it down. And there are factions that have, you know, cheaper infantry choices, cheaper vehicle choices. Like the Crystalum Horde, for instance, you would feel the Shattered Men, which are little kind of zombie squads, and they're a decent amount cheaper than your standard rifleman bases. I would say uh, most factions have the, the ability to kind of be a bit flexible in whether or not they want to field very small elite forces with elite troops and vehicles, or if they want to go with more general issue stuff and get a few more figures on the table with the Crystalum Hordes, probably a able to get the most figures on the table just because they have some really cheap uh, infantry options. But um, we really kind of wanted to capture a, a company scale battle made, or I would say, yeah, a company scale battle with, with a few platoons, kind of, kind of eight, nine activations each and a game that's playable within two hours with five turns. 
All right. How much can you customize the forces? Um, cause I think if you were used to, um, the old games workshop, it was like one commander, two tacticals was like your base. And then you can expand off there. And if you got into six and seven, there was like battalions and how many the force structure. So is there actually like a force structure that you're required to take minimally to kind of, yes. um, well, and I also find that prevents the min maxing of like, I'm going to take nothing but artillery pieces. Mm. Yes, there definitely is. And, and I will admit in the core book, it's very simple. We kind of started very simple on a lot of the mechanics in our core book. It was our first time around and um, we wanted to make sure the game uh, was functional and kind of captured the, the goal we set out to do. So in the core book, the force organization chart is, is there. It's a minimum one headquarters, uh, min two troops. I think you go up to two headquarters, you can go up to four troops, and then zero to three armored, and usually a lot of zero to one of other choices. Like it's zero to three armored, zero to two fire support, which are artillery, and then zero to one of everything else. So it is kind of it, it kind of funnels you into building this this combined arms company. And right now in the core book, there is really only kind of that way to build out a list. You can mix and match the units and kind of decide which vehicles you want to use and which infantry you want to use and whether or not they're going to get transports and things like that. However, I can say that in the time since we wrote and finished the core book, and actually I have it all in, um, ready to go into layout, which is what we're working on now, but to give you a hint of kind of what we're working on currently for, for the future is, is our first expansion. And in that book, you're going to see a bunch of different force organization charts that have different uh, layouts of units. And the idea is if you want to use this alternate army construction, you take two of these platoons and you marry them together. And essentially, there's a bunch of flexibility there. So you could combine um, an air platoon, an air for, you know, an air, oh my God, air, su air support platoon with a, an armor platoon, if you want, and have a bunch of airplanes and then some heavy tanks in there and all that stuff. You could have uh, an infantry platoon married with a tank platoon to get a, a bit more of both. You can have, you can double up. You can say, I just want two armored platoons. I want two air platoons. There'll be uh, tons of new models and, and data sheets for that stuff. We have an air commander coming. We have um, more uh, special model choices, little super heavies, and you can get way more of those on the table. So we do plan to expand out and, and make the armies more flexible and give players the option to kind of customize them more. Uh, sorry, I was looking... So I've been comparing your Kickstarter with some of the stuff going on the Facebook page. So looking at the Kickstarter, there seems to be like heavy tanks, infantry, and some uh, medium weight vehicles, kind of like Humvees there. But on your Facebook, it actually looks like you have some VTOL and some uh, double Delta wing aircraft there. Are those going to be expansion models later yes. on? Is that stuff you're experimenting with? Okay. Because I went on the Kickstarter looking for those uh, VTOL birds there. It's like, oh, those are cool. <laughs> I will say yes, at some point those will be out there. Um, I want to kind of, and I've got a lot of questions about it because yeah, I, I do show off a lot of models on the, on the Facebook. There's a ton of stuff that we are kind of designing and sculpting and getting test printed and getting tests done, you know, all that stuff. And um, the kind of process from idea to, to stats, to model, to production or, or prototype really it takes a long time. So even so things I'm working on currently, um, we may not see until the fall or early 2023, I kind of have to get out there and, and get a, uh, an idea of, of how the release waves are going to work post Kickstarter. I have some ideas and I have some plans and some services I want to use, 
Um, can't speak to any of that yet, but all the stuff on the Kickstarter are models that we have had sculpted for a long time. We've had, you know, test uh, prototypes have been done. We have uh, somebody kind of lined up already to kind of create them for everybody. So those are the models that uh, we feel comfortable going to uh, Kickstarter with. And a lot of the other stuff will be making an appearance. And I know people are asking for aircraft and things like that. And I do have those models designed. Uh, we're just kind of want to see what the interest is in the Kickstarter, make sure that we get everyone, everything they ordered from the Kickstarter, that that's going to be my utmost goal and something I uh, want to prioritize above everything else. And then after that, uh, I'll be looking right into releasing model waves. Um, they're probably on my end, at least they're going to be digital releases. I'm going to look into one of the digital services out there. I know my mini factory is a more popular one. <clears throat> There's other ones out there. I have to still do some research on which specific one I'm interested in, but there will be um, model releases and in, uh, in digital form for STLs uh, through me on one of those services. So I, I and actually I'm looking at them right now as I look over from my computer. Those two big defaults on the uh, the big magnet bases my uh, friend made for me. Yeah, they are they are pretty pretty crazy looking. I can actually grab one if you want me to show it off. Yes, we'll, we'll paint the picture. <laughs> Yeah, it, this is big. So this is the largest model. I'll never say never, but this is the largest model I think we're going to do for a very long time. That was time. the one I was thinking of right there. It's pretty big. I put my hand on it for a 50, 15 mil. Um, but it's like a dropship. It essentially holds an entire platoon and can deploy them on the table. And it's got its rockets and its little machine guns and stuff up here. So it is It is a pretty big model. Um, and that has been sculpted. Uh, when it will make an appearance, I can't say yet, but uh, we do have a lot of stuff saved for release waves, and um, I'm really, really excited for the prospect of getting that stuff out there for people. Well, looking at that one, I, I know what's going to happen. You're going to come out here and say, you know, I want 15 millimeter combined arms, really grab the flavor of small of company action games, and I want it on a four by four, and I want the game to only last two hours. And I think probably every backer will say, that's great. And five seconds after they get it, they'll say, but can I play Epic? I'm, <laughs> I'm just waiting for that. I know, I know. I, I, uh, uh, you'll, you'll find someone out there say, I represent the community of people with six foot by 24 foot paper, tables and you're not supporting us. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we'll see. It, it's hard to kind of, and again, it's just because everything takes... Yeah. From the moment of kind of conception to to execution is 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 pretty pretty grueling. So I I, I don't want to commit to anything outside of, of what we have out there right now, of course. Um, but uh, there's there's so many ways to take the game. There, there's so much stuff, and even right now I have really cool ideas uh, for for stuff to kind of do in the future. And some of those models are already getting sculpted. Um, some of those models have I have uh, prototypes of, and again I'll post. Um, I'll be posting those up on the Facebook as soon as I get the prototypes painted just to show people kind of what we're working on and what we're, we plan on to uh, supporting the game with. We are, our first expansion is going to have three new factions. It's going to have a ton of new units. It's going to have new mechanics for things like the aerial transports and fighters and bombing runs and all that crazy stuff. Um, but the, the work cycle and then the fact that, uh, I still have to work full time and kind of have to beg, borrow, and steal people's time to uh, get things done, or you know, hire out resources, and then work on their timeline. That's actually what we're doing right now for the expansion book. I have an amazing graphic artist um, on board, professional, um, 
but I only get a few hours a week with them. So we kind of have to build to that schedule. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of places we can take it, man. There, there's so much stuff we can do. And that, I think that's what excites me the most. And I'm really interested to see what people like and what people want more of. And then I want to be kind of there to provide that. All right. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you is, so I get these forces on the table. Um, mm -hmm. The standard thought is, okay, well, I'm here to table everyone, but that's, mm -hmm. you can only take a game so far. So mm -hmm. what type of missions are are you looking at and also is there a campaign feature to kind of like build a narrative arc um for like your force um to kind of grow it and like adding points is that in the core rule book or is that a future expansion so a campaign system is not in the core rule book right now again the core rule book is kind of made um streamlined to just provide the rules provide some backstory on things a handful of missions and all that. Uh, campaign system is definitely something I want to think about. And, and it's something I want to build from the ground up. It's not something I kind of want to haphazardly staple onto the end of a book. It almost, I would say, may need its own book to kind of really hash out a campaign system I'm happy with. Because I've played a bunch of different campaign systems in other games, especially a lot of indie games. And a lot of times they're used as kind of a jumping off point to, to kind of jump in and create your own stuff. And I'm not really sure how I want to approach that yet. I, I have some thoughts on it. I can't really speak to it yet, but a campaign system is something I definitely want to tackle at some point. And as for missions go, we have four missions in the core book. They're all objective based. There's not really a, a big emphasis <laughs> on running at each other and just shooting the There's, ruffle stomp objective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of moved away from that. I think in our expansion, we are going to have one mission that, that uses kill points and things like that, but it still has uh, objectives. Um, but right now, everything's objective placed. We have a, an attack defense mission. We have a mission uh, with table quarters and then reserves come in randomly and you have to see where they spawn in. That one gets chaotic very quickly. It's fun. Uh, we have a, a standard kind of static three objective cap center of the table. And then our final mission is uh, three objectives, but you pick them up and move them around. Uh, and you need to kind of bring them back to your table edge to score. So everything is objective-based. There's no just kind of mindless murder right now. Um, sometimes it's fun, though, to do for demo games. If you want to show somebody <laughs> the system, like, just give everybody a handful of tanks and infantry, and you're just like, eh, shoot each other. <laughs> so it does have its uses every so often. I think for demo games, uh, that idea of... Because objectives balance out forces um because it might have a force that's terrible at hand-to-hand -hand fighting but they're really good at grabbing stuff and running um but when you're trying to demo that to people and very quickly trying to run through the um but remember he can run away real quick it's like well i don't care about yeah, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, i've done a couple demos so far not only big events um big events are something i actually want to do at some point we may have to wait until end of this year early next year just for you know monetary reasons travel reasons but um, I, I want to eventually get this out there at shows to show people and get demos on the table. And, and, and with a few little kind of like meetups and groups I've shown that, yeah, that's, that's what everyone wants to do, especially with the tanks. I want to drive forward and just start shooting at each other. <laughs> well, that's, that's how every game of Team Yankee ends. And, <laughs> uh, so with, um, with this, and uh, you mentioned being having this effort born in the um, pandemic, is there a co-op or a solo play? Um, do you have thoughts on doing that? Um, that's interesting. I think actually. that's, well, 
if he did it, you'd be probably one of the few in this genre. Um, because mm-hmm. you do have the little crystal creatures and they are kind of zombie like. Yep. So, I mean, I guess you could play like just wave of waves of zombies, you know, do your uh, Iswanda or um, you, know, you do your Zulu charges of just wave of crystal zombies on your guys. But um, that could be interesting. Yeah, I actually haven't thought about that solo play. Um, it's a term I've heard before in, in war games. It's not, uh, I've never tried a solo play war game. Um, I actually probably have to look into that and see uh, how that's handled. But uh, it's an interesting concept. And, and yeah, we do have the, the monster faction. They are a playable faction. And um, their mechanics are very different uh, command-wise and all that stuff from the human faction. So, yeah, there may be some potential in there to kind of look into that. And but, I, uh, well, okay. I, I asked that because it seems with a lot of new games because you're not warlord you're not games workshop but you have an idea you're floating it out there and i live in an area of where like i might be the only guy that even Mm. knows about this because kickstarter is horrible at referring um things i'm interested in to me so (laughs) if i didn't follow legatus i would have never gotten noticed um because your game doesn't show up in my recommended but it it comes that part of like being a, a new company the um critical tipping point of like adoption and like Mm. a local game club. So co-op and solo play creates a way for someone to like buy into the game to be that door breacher and like, okay, well now I can get enjoyment without out of this game without having to like convince other people and Mm. like a sea of other games out there. Like, Hey, instead of horse heresy, play this game, Crystallum. It's like, okay, why? (laughs) It's like, okay. Um, and, that, and that's why I bring that up, but, um, you know, a future expansion you can get the co-op solo play booklet. Um, but something I want to talk about is uh, your sculpts. Um, sure. cause what I, what I found interesting about your game is you've partnered with Lee Gaddis to do mm. some of the physical model manufacturing and, um, some of the distribution for you. Um, but you seem to really be backing the digital STL files. Um, mm. Why that choice and how do you go about, because I don't think you're the sculptor. No, how no. You, I, I, <laughs> sculptors. Yeah, I, how, how do you handle that sculpting process? So uh, I'm fortunate in the fact that uh, the two sculptors that are, are, are doing stuff, and there's other people who work on this too. I don't want to uh, ignore their contributions. But the sculptors I've, I've used and the two main guys who work for me now, um, Dallas Messina and, and Riley Herriford. Are great guys, and uh, I know them personally, and uh, I can essentially just get on the phone and talk to them, which is always, you know, uh, more advantageous than having to trade emails and waiting days and days for responses. And um, we have had uh, Dallas, especially, has been a guy who's not only done the sculpts but helped me write and test and all that stuff. He's kind of you know always involved, and we kind of could just sit down sometimes and have meetings and have brainstorm meetings and say, hey, would be cool if we did this? Would be cool if we did that? coming up with these unit ideas and then hammering out the art styles. And then in, in some cases going to an illustrator and getting the art done, um, and getting the artwork done, the visual artwork done. And then from there, we can sculpt off that visual. We can send it to uh, Riley who um, doesn't actually live locally here, but we kind of communicate all the time over the phone. So I can send that to him. He can sculpt off the image and um, we can really kind of create whatever we want. I, th- I think that's the most fun thing about it is having creative control and just being able to be like, just do whatever we want. <laughs> we'll just create whatever kind of crazy model, you know, pops into our head and some of them work and some of them need a little bit extra work. Um, 
but but yeah, I, I think I want to get more ambitious with the sculpts. I think a lot of our kind of earlier models have tended to be like tank with laser gun, kind of you know a little historical adjacent with some of the especially some of the more blast vehicles things like that. And then there's lore reasons for that and all that stuff. But uh, I think as especially as we get into the expansion stuff, we're kind of going like really crazy with some of the sculpts, and it's it's a lot of fun to see uh, where that's going. Again, I have some miles on the floor over there, but I have uh, some little armored uh, muscle cars with guns on them for one of the factions. So I'm really, really excited to show those. Um, and, and yeah, we partnered with Lee and, and Gaddis Gaming to kind of uh, make some of this stuff happen. And then he's going to be handling the, the physical models, which for our Kickstarter going to be done in resin. We have a, a guy set up for that. Um, and afterwards, We'll kind of see. I, I can't commit to any kind of material or, or manufacturing after the fact, after the Kickstarter resolves, obviously. But um, uh, on my end, I'm going to be in charge of the digital STL files. I own all the files and, and all that stuff. And um, that's kind of the easiest way for an indie game to kind of get stuff out there. I mean, 3D printers are becoming more pre prevalent. Yeah. Um, and then nicer printers are uh, with, you know, that use resin, that use different materials that are, are kind of better than PLA plastic are really, really, um, really popular now. And um, I even have a friend who uh, still has a PLA printer that he messes around with all the time. And he printed some of uh, the crystal minis just for fun. Uh, and they actually came up pretty good. And he painted them up and after paint work, they look pretty good. But obviously you want to go resin with a lot of that stuff. And I think putting those out there kind of gives people, you know, the chance to, to print them out, to use them in crystal or to use them in any other game they want. And to modify them. Hey, you know, what if uh, somebody wants a, the, the T-80 tank, but they want to give it a different gun or something like that. And that, that's something I'm really interested to see, too, is this, there's, there's a lot of uh, guys who kind of like mod STLs or do some some cool stuff with them. Um, and, and yeah, I'm just excited. And, and from a from a, a business standpoint, I mean, once the file is it has been created and, and you, you've checked it over and you've done your test prints and you make sure it works and it worked in slicers and all that stuff and you've gotten some you know a lot of successful prints out of it, you're you're able to kind of distribute that on, on a number of different internet services or however you want to do it, and um, it's much much easier than having to manufacture and then keep stock and all that stuff because I kind of if you see this room I am in this this horrible empty room. This is where most of the creation magic happens. <laughs> the extent of the resources I work with is this uh, horribly messy uh, room in a house. <laughs> That's what the gray walls are for, creativity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so one of the things I was looking at your Kickstarter like is I have seen, um, especially with Kickstarters and small independent companies, uh, there's two approaches. And it's always built around 3D printers. So it's like mm. you can get physical stock, but if you want to do it on digital, here's the route you go. What I like about yours is it actually seems to blend the two. So my mm -hmm. thoughts on it was you have a two-player starter box. Um, and then you have STL files. So it's like, okay, I could buy the two-player starter box, have the physical models. Like game releases, I have the physical models. I can start work on that. I don't 3D print. My wife 3D prints. So I've got... Mm -hmm. PLA printers, resin printers, all that stuff. So I can hand the files to her. I can already get playing and start going and I can figure out the game and my style and then use the STL files to expand the, that core, that core box in the way that I want. And, you know, I can keep playing 
whenever she gets around to printing my files. Um, <laughs> so I, I do like that blended approach of being able, even on a splash release. And um, if you're familiar with Games Workshop, you're familiar with the idea of like, these models are only going to be available <laughs> like this month yeah. and that's it. Um, but I like the idea of being able to get the physical models and being able to expand with STLs. I think that's approach mm. I haven't seen other um, creators do out there. And uh, it blends the two worlds nicely. Um, and it just, I can go crazy with it. Cause one of the things I have to say is looking at your 15 millimeter Battletech six millimeter, like well man how far can i push these little guys down <laughs> yeah, and, add, and add to alpha strike yeah yeah you can scale them down um especially the vehicles so you can you can easily kind of scale them down to six and they'll, they'll still work um because they've been designed the models have been designed with 3d printing in mind uh all the models when the sculptors go in and do all that stuff they design with 3d printers in mind um, we check them over we do quality checks on all the files we do test prints everything's tested and, and believe me I, when I tell you the truth of how much money I've pitched into the void, being like, we get a model done, we sculpt it, we look it over. All right, we think this will work. Send it to our prototype guy. It doesn't work. <laughs> you still pay for the print. You still pay for the resume fees. <laughs> All right, try it again. Boom, boom, boom. It's it's quite. It's an arduous process, and that's another reason um, the 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 model kind of. Uh, I don't I don't want to promise too much out the gate outside the Kickstarter. Is I want to make sure all of these models are up to quality that they'll work that um, you know, it's not just gonna be like a plug it in the machine and hope for the best, that you'll be able to print these models knowing that they are designed for 3D printers, that they are, the thicknesses on everything are correct. You won't have like tiny little brittle stuff that'll just fall apart. Um, uh, the models, are, especially as we get more complex with the sculpts, they're, they're almost kind of becoming their own little model kits with you know some getting into the part counts of seven, eight, nine pieces, especially that uh, the dropship I, I kind of showed before, That's that's, quite a decent amount of parts you got to glue together. So that that's provides another kind of layer of, of stuff to be aware of. You got to make sure all your, 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 your keys and your pegs and everything works well there. Um, so it's, it's definitely, and I'm kind of getting a crash course in a lot of this as well. Not, not mostly from the, the sculpting process, but from being able to look at a figure and then say, Hey, on a 3d printer, this will work. I don't think that will work. I don't think that will work. So we should go back to the drawing board and figure out, do we, should we cut down that machine gun barrel? Should we maybe model the machine gun in a different way? So it's, a, it's more printer friendly, kind of stuff like that. Well, let me ask you, and um, you're the first person to ask this. Have you ever been tempted by a Silecast machine? So, yeah, actually, to, 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 that you mentioned it, I was actually on the phone with a, a Silecast guy yesterday. You seem like, you seem like the, the type of person that that company was designed to target. Because I've, I've talked to Gaddis about it and he's going to pass because he's already got the infrastructure to support his manufacturing. So it's like companies smaller than him. Um, the machines seem really designed for at-home small lot production. So yeah. if the Silocast reps called you, how did that go? So I, I did call them. Um, I, again, I want to say too much now and I, I can't promise anything. It's, it's more something for the future. Uh, I kind of talked to them and talked um, procedure and, and and volume and all that stuff. And currently, I mean, currently with our Kickstarter, we are funded though, which is good. But um, we we have a kind of a smaller number of backers that are that are buying into the higher tiers, or they're buying a lot of the STLs, things like that. So I think when it comes down to manufacturing in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to see a, a smaller production number of actual physical models we have to do. 
And then when I talk about with the Cytocast guys, they they gave me their opinion of sticking with the current plan of just, you know, uh, using our print farm, using our, our hard quality kind of like 8K, whatever it's called, resin stuff uh, for now. But it, but in the future, if we are able to kind of generate a demand for a large amount of, of physical stuff, then then the Cytocast would, would kind of be more justified. But it is something I'm definitely interested in. And then there's, there's kind of a lot of trials and, and, and it's not as easy as, as you'd think. There's not a lot of plug and play from um, just NESTL. They told me there's a lot of uh, design things. There's almost a, a totally different kind of design mantra you have to take into mind when you're designing something from Cytocast. So if we did decide to go to that angle, and if we do have the demand for the physicals afterwards, after the Kickstarter uh, fulfills, um, we probably have to go back to, not necessarily back to the drawing board from scratch, but the models would have to be re-reviewed um, by someone who's more versed in, in Cytocast uh, sculpting. And you may see some of the models have to change because of that. But again, this is all kind of stuff that was discussed um, and it's not gonna affect our Kickstarter right now. Everything you see on the Kickstarter, the renders, that's, that's the way the models are gonna get when you get them. All right. so. Let's talk about the Kickstarter because you are funded. So this is going to happen, um, but there's still time when this episode's dropped, there's still going to be over another week that people can get behind it. Um, so why don't you talk about how to find it? Because um, my, uh, I will put a private gripe out here. So when I go on mm. Facebook and Kickstarter mm. and I'm on there and people release new products, I don't get those ads. It's like hmm. people like to comment about like how the AI knows what we want and pushes product in front of it. I sure. totally disagree. There are Kickstarters I've missed because they're not getting pushed in front of me and stuff hmm. I've wanted to back. And there's stuff at Facebook is like, why did I not know about this? I get ads for crap I do not want all the <laughs> time. And I only like miniature wargaming Facebook pages, but it's not like I only get miniature wargaming ads there's ads that don't get pushed to me. So it's like, I am the target demo. Please learn me better and push stuff in front of me I actually want to buy. So mm -hmm. if someone wants to find your stuff, how do they go about doing it? So on Kickstarter, if you search Crystallum, it's spelled C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-L-U-M, a conflict in the far future, uh, you should be able to find our, um, our Kickstarter. And I can give you a link as well. <laughs> I can share Yeah, about. I'll put that in the, yeah. Um, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's interesting. You're saying you're not seeing the Facebook ads. We paid for uh, quite a lot of Facebook ads. Well, <laughs> okay. So I get the sponsored ads, but I didn't know I follow Lee Gaddis. So I didn't know if that okay. was the only reason I was getting those. Hmm. Um, but like on Kickstarter, when it says projects recommended from you, um, hmm. none of Lee's stuff, even though I follow him shows up in my recommended. So I don't know if that's them screwing you of like, Hey, pay us money or people who want your stuff won't see your ads. The Facebook ones are getting to me, but I was already following okay. Gaddis anyway. Um, so I don't know if that, how that was uh, um, based, but yeah, I've seen your ads. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure entirely sure uh, how Kickstarter does their kind of um, their, their algorithm and, and what they advertise out there. We are a very small project, obviously. I'll, I take no kind of shame in that saying like we are very small or startup. We're just getting started with this. And um, I mean, maybe they, they probably tend to just, just shine lights on the larger kind of, you know, bigger budget Kickstarters, but that's fine. Everyone's got to start somewhere. And um I honestly am grateful for, for everybody who's pledged and everybody who's taken interest right now. It's, it's 
crazy to see that, you know, something you created essentially in your bedroom and then worked on for, for so long and worked really hard on and spent countless dollars, <laughs> so many dollars <laughs> uh, trying to get, trying to get out there, you know, with, with and then, and, and I want to put it out there, like all the artists and stuff and all my friends and things like, every, you know, I really want to pay them and stuff. And I, I never want to ask people for free stuff. So um, everyone, everyone who contributed, you know, like I feel like got what they would do. And uh, they really created some really awesome stuff. I, I'm just so happy with the way everything's turned out, you know, the models, all the sculpts, and um, the support for the people who are, who are looking in, into the Kickstarter. It's just so great. And I want to thank everybody. Yeah, well, I am interested in uh, some of your first stretch goals because I think you're running up on that next tank there. Yep. And um, I think whenever you play small, like 15 millimeter tank battles, like Alpha Strike um, or Team Yankee, what do you want? You want the biggest tank or <laughs> <laughs> bigger yeah. tanks. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to see how far uh, some of the stretch goals come up. I have to admit, I, I really wanted to be tall. When I saw that, um, for anyone, you showed me what it looked like, but it's basically a V22, but instead of um, rotor turbine, it's jet engines. So mm -hmm. that looks really cool there. And uh, it'll, it'll, it'll get out there. It, it'll be out there at some point. I can't say when. These are actually the first two prototypes, and I just got them on bases. Um, I want to paint them up. I want to have a few conversations uh, with some people on the best way to get them out there. Obviously, STL is going to be guaranteed. If we do have any physical offerings that, that pop up for them, what that would look like, they are very large, <laughs> very large. Um, so I just want to get all that figured out before I put them out there. But I will say they will be out there at some point. I don't, I don't want to sculpt all this stuff. <laughs> And then just be like, yeah, let's keep it forever. <laughs> I'll keep it for myself. My personal collection. Yeah. No, no, I definitely want to get everything out there for everybody. And um, as we hit certain milestones, and then maybe even after the Kickstarter funds, uh, I'll, I'll put some more free files out there too uh, on my Thingiverse and all that jazz. And there's a bunch okay. of like stuff we kind of scrapped together. A lot, a lot of test models we scrapped together for like the original incarnation of the game, which a lot of the stuff shows up in pictures in the core rule book. There's like... Uh, uh, some of it was done by me, which I, I, I have enough physical over oh, 3D modeling know-how to like play like Lego, Lego man, Lego builder, <laughs> kind of scrap stuff together. So all that stuff's up there for free if anyone wants to mess around with it. And uh, I know some guys in the, on the Facebook group actually printed out a bunch and they were, they were playing, some, uh, playing some sample games with them. And that was cool to see. <laughs> I, I have to admit, Thingiverse has probably been more effective at directing me to um, Kickstarter 3D files because I'll type in a term. And someone will have like a Kickstarter and like their free model uh, yeah. is out there and say, well, I like that free model. Are there more like this? And then I follow it that way. Um, I got to give you that link because we have a free, I have, a, when we got funded, I put some free models out there and we have a big mech. He's actually going to be for the expansion faction, but you can do whatever you want with him now. He's a big mech and he's got a big rock drill arm and he looks awesome. <laughs> uh, so where, <laughs> where can people find you in the uh, social metaverse? Like um, what platforms are you on? So I'm on uh, Instagram as a crystal game content, same thing on Twitter. I just kind of put the pictures of whatever I'm working on right now. It's mostly crystal stuff, but there's some other stuff I go on there now. I've been painting a bunch of um, halo miniatures right now. I'm actually going to take some pictures today of those. Those look awesome. And again, this is a, most of those are all 3d printed. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, halo miniature support online, which is really cool. Um, 
which is odd. And I feel like there needs to be a Halo tabletop game again. I know there was the attempt at ground command and that didn't work out, but like it's such a cool universe. Why is there no game for it? <laughs> uh, tangent, there but, is uh, just not in our world. Yeah. 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 I guess you're right. But um, yeah, I post up a stuff on there. There's a uh, Crystallum on, on Facebook, the Facebook group. Uh, you can just kind of request access to that. I'll give everybody access for that. And that's where I post a lot of the model pictures and whatever I'm painting, uh, sample stuff, uh, prototype stuff, all that jazz. I'm answering questions. If anybody needs help with anything, I'm usually on there trying to answer answer, uh, questions. Just uh, let me know which question is and then obviously just be respectful and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, And I think that's that's pretty much it for for social stuff. No Discord server or which... I've no, never touched. Man, <laughs> yeah, no Discord server. Yet. I'm in a bunch of Discord servers. I don't know if I really want to start my own right now. Uh, maybe, maybe after the Kickstarter kind of resolves, I, I want to really be prepared to like just dedicate 110,000% to that and make sure everybody gets all their models in a timely fashion. And I have uh, resources lined up, ready to go. I just got to tell them how many, how many models to make and all that jazz, and we'll get going. All right. So um, with the idea that this episode will come out before your Kickstarter ends, but after your Kickstarter, you were talking about you're still in the decision point of where people will get your STL files, like my mini factory mm-hmm. stuff. How about the rule book? Um, are you rule looking book. at like Wargame Vault or RPG Vault? So your own website? So right, so right now the rule book, uh, the core rules are, are kind of a streamlined core rule book is actually already on um, Wargame Vault. Under Crystal. Uh, I'm working on an update file to go along with the rule book um, that will be provided to anybody who gets the rules off Kickstarter. And then um, after the fact, that'll be a, a download as well for free. But everyone will get the, the, the rules through the Kickstarter. We'll get the update file through the Kickstarter. So that's kind of like an errata. It's going to look like a nice little errata. It's going to be laid out. It's going to have some nice art and stuff like that. Some of the, uh, the core rules are going to be uh, fixed up, modified. Some additional content will be in there for free. Um, if you want the, the V, some people call it the V1, I guess. The V1 version of the rules, they're on uh, Wargaming Vaults, on the Crystallum Conflict in the Far Future. We have a PDF, we have a soft cover rule book you can get uh, through print on demand. And let me tell you what a pain that was to set up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're, we are working on our expansion book now as well. Uh, I can't say too much about it because I don't know exactly what the timeline will be on that. It's, it's going to be a gigantic... I'll, I'll give, I will give you an idea, though. Uh, it's going to be at least double the size of the core book. Just okay. with the amount of uh, backstory and, and lore. We really went crazy on the lore. Uh, I wanted there to be a ton of backstory for everything. And it's fun to write. <laughs> and then tons, tons of new rules and things like a full quick reference and... Um, a whole bunch of stuff will be in there, and some of that stuff will be chopped out, uh, such as the quick reference, such as the errata stuff, and it'll be its own PDF, uh, again, for free. Um, and, yeah, that, that there's, there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of ground to cover with this thing, and I really want to see where it goes. And um, as you said before, after the Kickstarter uh, resolves and we get everybody all their stuff, there will be um, a presence uh, on, a, on a website, probably my mini factory, something like that, where we'll have the STLs for distribution, uh, just the stuff that was on the Kickstarter, and then a bunch of new stuff that'll probably be released in waves. Uh, I know people are asking for aircraft, so I'm leaning towards maybe being just an aircraft wave, you know, uh, after the Kickstarter's all said and done. But um, yeah, it'll be out there. And then again, I really, I really want to see what people do with all this stuff. All right, great. I'm excited about it. Um, just because I like 
like being on the ground floor, the playability and see where you're going to take it there. Um, especially since so much of it is based around like digital. Um, yeah. uh, so it allows me as a consumer to decide really how much I want to get into it and how much I want to lay out, um, especially since I already have the 3D printers and I've got a printer and a ring binder. So <laughs> I can make the... <laughs> Um, but before we wrap up here, is there anything else you want to get out there? Um, anything I missed discussing, you know, give you the final word, yield the floor. Um, I want to, I guess, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll tell people out there if, if you want to make something, if you want to write something, create something, I mean, just go for it. Uh, I, I, it's hard to put myself out there and it's still hard and I still kind of, am, you know, very, very anxious all the time thinking about whether or not people are going to going to enjoy the game and all that stuff but but I, I think you just have to pull the trigger you have to try you know you'll see what happens oh well, see now you're you're just as bad as lee out there encouraging people <laughs> to follow their dreams and like offering stuff for free or low price is like, no crush your competition don't be a creator i'm the only game so <laughs> i hate that i hate that stuff <laughs> okay i think that's why we get along so well is he, he really kind of uh is a great guy and then he understands too. He understands the struggle of just trying to get started. And when we started talking about this stuff and decided we we're going to work together, you know, I kind of told him, and you know, I was like, yeah, I told the people about this, and especially the people from other companies, like, you know, kind of just, you know, like, good luck, kid. <laughs> and he was a guy who was like, you know, like, you know, show me what you got. And then if there's something there, you know, we'll talk. And I kind of showed him, and he was, you know, he was interested. So, uh, again, I'm grateful for, for any opportunity anybody gives me, man. It's it's so hard to kind of put yourself out there. Well, I'll tell you what, good good luck. This is the type of stuff I'm I'm really fascinated to see how it just plays out, not just as a game, but as as a company. Because you know, do it right, start from the ground up, and see how far it goes there. Um, but Chris, thank you for being on with us at Miniature Wargaming Labs, and for everyone out there listening, uh, check out Crystallum, uh, fascinating uh, game pushing into the smaller form factors, which. For those with limited storage capacity, is uh, very important. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm so grateful to talk to anybody about this stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, who everybody out there who wants to to check out the game, uh, please do, and then let me know uh, what you want to see next. And thank you so much. Thank you.